0: Hi, this is Kristen McDonald, and welcome to Second Vision. My guest today is 82-year-old American Book Award winner Maria Espinoza. Maria started writing over 50 years ago as a way to reclaim her sense of self, comparing herself to a chemist who uses a microscope to investigate the lives of others. Her work has helped her to understand herself and the world around her better. Maria's latest book, Suburban Souls, is an unflinching portrait of a woman's downward spiral into the nightmare of modern domesticity. Based loosely on her mom's life, Maria weaves a deceptively simple tale about the terror of abandonment and the mysterious nature of suffering. Although the stories may differ, a common thread in her writing is the search for love and how best to find it. Using her life experience as a catalyst, she shows that despite tragedy, we can be resilient and still find joy. So great to have you here, Maria.
1: Oh, after that introduction, I feel overwhelmed. First of all, oh well, we me. are honored
0: to have you. My goodness, I mean, <laughs> we're you. only doing one book today, and you've written multiple books. So, uh, so what? You know, what prompted you to write *Suburban Souls*?
1: Well, first of all, it's a very fictionalized version of several women, not strictly my mother at all but several women I've known intimately, including aspects of myself that I would prefer not to even dwell on. But there they are. So also being 82, I feel as though I've lived about seven different lifetimes. I don't feel 82. I feel
0: And by the way, you sound like you're about 38, so (laughs) there you go.
1: Well, it's odd. I just feel like that character in Virginia Woolf novel Orlando who lived through many centuries and had a poem that he or she kept writing through the centuries on a cord around his or her neck. He kept changing sex to the old oak tree and I feel somewhat like that person who's just been around for incarnations because who I am now today is I don't know who I was when I was 18, 19,
0: 20. But isn't that great because then you have all those layers you know, to, to pull from when you're writing.
1: Yes, very much. And lately I've been reading, though rereading are reading Proust's In Search of Lost Time and his search to recapture things that have been passed and have vanished.
0: Well, and, and that's his, kind of parallel to what you've done. You, you sort of searched in your past to... to You know, to bring this to light, right, about suburban souls. I mean, this is about women in the 70s struggling. I remember that era distinctly. You know, it's, I was just getting out of high school and, you know, the, um, you know, the fight for freedom with women, the, the feminist movement. And I thought, you know, just skimming some of your chapters, I thought of the Stepford Wives, you know, the movie.
1: Oh yes, that famous movie, The Stepford Lodge, The Mannequins.
0: Yes, and the man the robot. Wonderful
1: women. Yes. Exactly, yeah.
0: exactly. So do you think all women feel this way? Tell us a little bit about the book first and how it relates to your life and the characters and I know one is psychic. Do you do you have any psychics in your life? Have you ever been to a psychic?
1: Oh, I lived with a psychic.
0: In oh fact, you did I'm, my God. Tell well, us about that.
1: Well that was interesting. in fact she bears quite a resemblance of the. She in the book. Oh, of course, she's sexualized, too. And she long ago vanished into the ether. Uh, how can I say she had some hits and some misses? It was interesting living with her. There would be a noise. The dishwasher would go out, and she'd attribute to some spirit. And I have some psychic inclinations, too, as I think we all do. Right. So I identified a lot with her.
0: And, and so, and firstly, did you say she went missing in real life or in the book, you mean?
1: No. I mean, in real life, she just
0: In real life, vanished, she just sort of life. vanished. Oh, my God. So, out of your life, mm-hmm. yeah. And it, because mm-hmm. I've known a couple in my lifetime, too, so it's, it's um, you know, those little spooky stories, you know, one who had uh, predicted a couple of things that did come true, but then others, she had just a very, very funny side to her, which is a whole other story. But so so... Did you live by her predictions or
1: well she didn't predict so much in the future she did make observations about the present do you also yeah, you must also have some psychic information oh to, yes i've had
0: it's a conversation for another time i mean i've had psychic dreams from the time i was small and i think many people in the creative field are sometimes better able to, you know, I started out as an aspiring actress and talk show host before my vision went bad. And I think you're able to tap into the creativity more easily when you're in the creative fields. than, let's say the somebody in a tech field or engineering or just the way the brain works, don't you?
1: Oh, very much so. It really starts to tap a whole part of your mind that otherwise goes to sleep or starts to. Yes. Yeah. In fact, all activities do. In fact, Unrelated to being psychic or developing creativity, I really began to feel when I was very young, I was about seven, and I had transferred from a very good private school to a very mediocre public school. I was in the second grade, and I felt very distinctly that parts of my brain were actrifying in some way and that I had been a much more intelligent being in a former lifetime. I don't know where I ever got the idea of former lifetimes. I was seven years old. Wow. I had been a very brilliant East Indian man, but because of my bad temper and my bad character, I had come down in the world and was forced to incarnate in this body of a seven-year-old girl in the suburbs of Long Island.
0: Oh, my goodness. And that's what you thought when you were seven years old. That's quite a
1: yes.
0: uh, quite a vision for a
1: seven-year-old. I know. I don't know where I heard the, noise, the idea of in, reincarnation. We did have a guest. Who was an Egyptologist who used to come to dinner and talk? And uh-huh. he might have been reincarnation. That was the only way I ever would have gotten into my family yeah. That's that probably
0: where you send. picked it up. It left an imprint on your on your brain, you know. Yeah. So so let's talk. Um, you know, for our listeners first. Is your book on? Uh, is it an ebook as well for some of the visually yeah. impaired people who listen? Okay, that's wonderful. That's great. And do to
1: yeah, it? it's on Amazon and on Barnes and Noble, and easy okay. to order.
0: Okay, rate. great. So, so tell us about the premise. It's about these. It's about um, a young mother, well, right?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a couple. Saul and Gerda are both German-born Jews who escaped from the Holocaust as children. Right. He escaped when he was about twelve. He'd seen his father's chemical laboratory blown up by the ss by nazis oh he's barely goodness. gotten out. he spent time in israel and his wife gerda got out as a younger child but she's raised by a rather cold uncle and aunt Her para- her father has disappeared and she's constantly searching for this missing father and her mother had died in a bombing she was in the same building but she was in a different part of the building she was a baby and she just remembers crying and crying and crying and finally someone came and rescued her, found her among the level. So she's had a traumatic beginning to her life and she's quite, I could say, wounded by it and also wounded of course. by the, the, the uncle and aunt. And then this search for a missing father, something she searches for in later chapters of the novel where she finds him, she thinks she finds him in a bookstore in North Beach, and follows him <laughs> and has a relationship with him. But, and her husband, Saul, again, has emotionally been wounded by all kinds of events in his life and by his own family's emotional patterns. Uh, his his mother quite strict and domineering and quite orthodox to the point of almost being fanatic. And his father sort of he freewheeling and but also indifferent in a way to him. And then being raised on the as a teenager in the Israeli kibbutz was quite hard for him. So he tends to be quite withdrawing, withdraw into his shell. Passive aggressive, which is many men's mode of connecting I'm afraid. Especially back in the seventies. Yeah. And so she she would be very upset and trying to communicate her emotions and he would just back off and that would make her furious and she'd escalate. The silent trauma. treatment. Yeah. So he he just would stimulate her rage, and, you know, really exacerbate her rage, her frustration, and the more she raged, the more he just withdrew. So it made for a quite unhappy marriage. Of course, his work. He was quite successful as a chemist as a researcher and she was home in a suburb where she had no longer had the support of a close-knit family or she didn't even have the support of saving, living in a close-knit apartment building where your neighbors were all within with your shot. was alone in this house with all the modern appliances and the nice lawn and the neighbors were quite distant. They were just there but they were not connected to her, really. And her relatives, her uncle and aunt, not very nurturing, were far away, and she had nobody else. She had a few friends, especially one that she confided in, but that wasn't really enough to help soothe the kind of nameless frustration that she felt. She didn't really have a name for it. I don't know why she felt so unhappy, but the sense of things missing in her life. And then having three children, two girls who were just entering adolescence and becoming troublesome, and then a baby who was almost, I don't know if it's a wanted baby or not, but there she has him, and he requires full-time attention. So well, the suburbs
0: was- is so isolating for so many women. I just think of my own mother as you're, not to have interrupted you, but as you're talking about this theme, you know, my own mother moved, my dad was a, a doctor and started a practice in Canada, and then he, he got a job with the pharmaceutical industry, so they moved to the u s and I was very, very small and she had the three kids going to a new country in a, in the suburbs, and she was a city girl she was raised in the city, so just as a parallel, I grew up with that theme of my mother in the seventies and saying to to my sister and I, "You girls, go do something with your lives, you know so it was ingrained yes. ingrained in our head, you know, unlike because, I mean, she, and she loved her life. She was a wonderful mom and homemaker. But I'm just mm-hmm. using it there's so many women like that in the suburbs, isolated, and some who have moved, you know, so I could feel that in the first beginning part of your chapters, you know, what you're trying to portray.
1: Yes, it's lonely. Really hard. You know, my dad
0: would be off on business trips, and he'd come home, and, you know, and and he had his own uh, tiring career, but but hers was home with the kids, isolated, and she's a young beautiful woman, you know, it must be very hard
1: It is hard in fact, you're not the only one of my readers who's told me the same thing, another woman, Diane Schmidt, who recently did an interview with me and, I'm sorry, and Lilith, the, the online Jewish women's magazine quarterly came and said her mother has felt that way in the suburbs so much and I think yeah, it was a real phenomena, post-war phenomena, that the suburbs sprang up, and the men went off to their interesting and fulfilling careers, and the women were supposed to be home absolutely in bliss with their new appliances, and of course yes. they weren't.
0: And so few women women worked in the workforce in those days.
1: Yeah, and it was hard, really hard, Ice making. Yeah. Isolating. yeah. <laughs> And I
0: mean, it's one reason own- why I took off to the city when I was just young, to New York, and then moved to L.A. because I've always been in the city, and it was one reason my mother kept pushing: go to the city, go to the city where the people are, where the action is. You know, don't don't live in the suburbs. You know.
1: Yeah, exactly. I was wondering after her children were born, did she do anything else with her life? And.
0: Well, it's a story for another time. You know, my she was just starting to take night courses, and she's really b- very, very smart woman and beautiful. Um, but my sister had a suffered a car accident at that time. You know,
1: and oh. it was un-
0: really unfortunate. It was a very bad car accident, and my parents were devoted to caring for her. You know, it was she was in critical, critical yeah. shape. You know so that was right at that turning point just as my mother what we were sort of going off to college and my mother says time for me and she was taking all these courses you know at the university around the corner and that happened so anyway she loved her life you know excuse me I usually turned my phone off
1: yeah that is hard hard for everybody yeah. very
0: hard very hard but so so is this about your character finding her way out of this, you know, finding well, joy, you know, and was this based the Holocaust Holocaust part on someone in your family or personal experience? People
1: I've known, several different people I've known, mm-hmm. I've known a lot of Holocaust survivors. I used to live in Berkeley, and it seems as though half of the millions of Holocaust survivors who landed in the United States seem to have landed in California in Berkeley. I just mm-hmm. knew a lot, of them. and they all had very Striping stories.
0: Oh, I can't imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I've read surviving. so much historical fiction, you know, about that era, and it's just yeah. heart-wrenching.
1: It is hard. So, okay, they're both survivors having survived. When you feel that the whole culture is really out to annihilate you, it makes some kind of impression. You feel like you've got to always be on the alert, ready for any future attacks, and you never really quite at ease in the culture in. Right. So they've got that as a kind of underlying background. Well, does she find a way out? I don't believe that she really does, but she her daughter does. She is really lost in her own confusion so much and then her daughter becomes pregnant and she wants with all her, she thinks that's the most possibly worst thing that could possibly happen and she tries to save her daughter well, fortunately, she doesn't succeed in, post saving her daughter. And her daughter is the one who, at the end, sees a way out, She's the light through this very early pregnancy. Interesting. Because <laughs> they're having so the reactions. baby. Yeah. The daughter. And i had so many reactions mm-hmm. from reading to the pregnancy. Some people say, oh, that poor girl, what's going to happen? And other people who've actually had children or Themselves had very early pregnancy Said, "Hey, this is you know the most wonderful thing that could have happened." So it really is. A so it was very, a
0: blessing in disguise.
1: Yeah, but it depends where you're coming from. If you think it's a blessing in disguise, I think it is. But a mm-hmm. lot of people have different opinions. But I just Beautiful. spoke to a friend. I just spoke to a friend of mine whose daughter got pregnant unmarried I mean, at the age of fifteen, and went on to raise the child, their oldest daughter. She's now a mother, a grandmother, I think, and married another guy later. And she went on to have a very successful life and family. And she was very nurtured by her mother, by her whole family with this early pregnancy. And I think that made all the difference.
0: Made all the difference, absolutely.
1: And nobody cared that she was married. They just said, she's wonderful, she's having a baby. And later, my friend herself had an affair with a married man and became pregnant with twins. She was my next-door neighbor at the time. And we. she had a lot of friends, and we gave a shower for her. She was pregnant, unmarried, had two children already, and here she was, pregnant with two more. And well,
0: she, she was she, having it, these babies because she was having an affair with, with someone?
1: Yeah, and she didn't want to have an abortion. She just, I'm going right, to have to go. And right, right.
0: Wow, what a that's a novel she, in she,
1: itself. Well, she is the most amazing success story. I just talked to her on the phone last night. She has something like... I don't know, 25 children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Oh, my
0: goodness. What a story.
1: And she has a house, a lovely house in Berkeley that she bought at just the right time with very little money. And her children all love her. They're all incredible successes. In fact, one of them really blew my mind when she said, My daughters." not only did she climb Mount Kilimanjaro a few years ago, but then she went on to Machu Picchu. And now she's doing X number of number other mountains, and she's also working as a nurse.
0: <laughs> My a goodness, virginity. she's Wonder Woman, Superwoman.
1: She really is. Yeah. And then you know, her son, who could have gotten into a lot of trouble, he was the only boy in the family, is now a, a physician with three or four children. I mean, the whole thing is an amazing success story. Of what really beautiful.
0: She must have a, quite a mindset, quite a positive thinking. Mindset. Well,
1: she had a very supportive family. She had an yes. extremely yes. supportive Yeah It's not
0: just positive mm-hmm. thinking. You have to have a lot of support. But, you know, often you can't build that if you don't have the right mindset either, you know. In fact, here's yes. a good question. Do you do you think that you need to be spiritual or religious to to get over something like, you know, to be a Holocaust survivor or even to survive in the suburbs?
1: <laughs> yes, I think you definitely do. And my friend Nancy, I don't think she's spiritual <laughs> in a you know, the sense of going to church every Sunday, but I know she certainly has got a strong spiritual core to her, whether it's articulated or not. She's so very strongly, and it's sustained her, along with the support group that she has, especially her mother and her relatives.
0: I, I think it's really, you know, at the top of the list, really, it's it's helped me so much in my life, you know, to have faith in something, you know.
1: Yeah, and the other thing I want to mention too is my friend is African American, and I think being in that particular supportive African American community that she was in was really sustaining to her and her children.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was, you know, not all African American communities are that sustaining, but this one. No, that's really true.
0: Amazing. That's true.
1: But this so, one always really
0: so, so, what has helped you find joy in your life, and and? you know, overcoming adversity, you know, what have been some of your Mm -hmm. biggest stumbling blocks and how have you overcome them?
1: Well, again, I have a very strong sense of spirit and I think that connects me most of all to the kind of strength when things are really rough and I would like to just give up. That core of strength, that core of connection with something much larger than myself. And I know I... Grew up. I went to a Quakers High School where we had periods of the silent worship, and that introduced Did me Did you meditation.
0: really? In Pennsylvania?
1: No, in Long Island.
0: Oh, and my I goodness. That.
1: So that, I think, introduced me to the later period now that I do a lot of Zen Buddhist meditation, which mm-hmm. is very simple. So that to me has been very sustaining. In yes,
0: I meditate too, and I find it's really key.
1: Yeah. And also, friends are really important to me. Having a, a close friends, women, men, who yes, are, social like, connections, and then, yeah. And I love to dance, dancing with kind Olafson. Of oh, dance.
0: good for you! I, 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 I'm, I share that too. You know, salsa I've up for years. Yeah, what kind of dance do you do?
1: Well, I think I know. I, I, in, improvisation. I love to do. I took yeah, just modern, dancing. hmm Just dancing. And when I was in high school, I began taking modern dance. And I really Wonderful. wanted to become a dancer. I wanted to become an actress. And for various reasons, I didn't. But that was always in the back of my mind, wanting me. To. And I just always danced all my life. And So enough, good for the
0: soul. I, Laughter and dance yeah. are two of the highest things to cure anything, I think, really.
1: And music, singing. Mm-hmm. Music. I yeah. was
0: never a singer, but do you sing too?
1: Yeah, I love to sing. Not very well, but I love to sing. <laughs>
0: That's wonderful. That's great. That's great. Yeah, all yeah. these are very big keys to finding joy. They're simple. They're, they're, some of them are free and many people just, uh, you know, they don't have enough time to dedicate to it or they're just, uh, they can't find their way out of the negativity sometimes, you know.
1: I know. It's hard. And it's, especially it's been hard during this period of COVID. Where yes. people are so much more isolated, it's, I think it's been hard on so many people.
0: Very and hard, and I've even heard lately people saying to me, "Ah, oh, because they they kind of crashed." Even though the world is opening up, they're kind of depressed now, which is it's like an aftermath. Have you experienced yeah. that with some people? And it's just from yes. the year. I think they just kind of feel out of breath because it's been so it's been so hard for all of us. Really, understatement. It is.
1: And people who crash, maybe it's like, now I can finally let go and crash. I just yes, I months. think
0: that's part of it. Yes, because the fear, you're starting to hold on. It's survival, really. We were all in survival mode.
1: Yeah, and I think it's been especially hard on children and teenagers. Yes.
0: Oh, I can't children imagine. Like, college age, you know, and not being able to interact. And a friend of mine sent her son off to school, and, and he, you know, had a, didn't really meet anybody. And he was just with his roommate, and that was it. I thought, freshman year of college, boy, mine was so different.
1: Yeah, very different.
0: Yeah. So, what are some of your? um, Firstly, about suburban. Back to suburban souls. Was this based on your life too? Did you do? Were you in the suburbs raising kids?
1: Well, how can I say? All the characters are parts of me. Right. I always identify with all the characters. I identify Mm -hmm. with the psychic, with Gerda, with Saul, the chemist, with with very much with the daughter, Mm -hmm. thirteen, fourteen-year-old daughter. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think... Did I live did I live in the suburbs? Not did you raise really kids like, in the suburbs during that era? Only for a year.
0: Uh-huh, <laughs> then, uh-huh. So then you were in the city or in...
1: Well, let's see. I lived in Berkeley, which I wouldn't really call a suburb because it was really... Well,
0: yes, because like, it's much
1: more active, community. yeah. And like, much more of a community. Yeah. Um, yeah, for a while, actually more than a year, because then I remarried my second husband and I lived in a suburb of the East Bay of San Francisco. Beautiful. But I escaped. By then, my daughter and his children were all teenagers, so I wasn't home raising kids, and I escaped to Berkeley as often as I could. Mm-hmm. And so sort of, the suburb became a place for me what, when I had coffee in the morning or within my shopping, and was somewhat friendly with my neighbors, who were somewhat sort of oddball. <laughs> 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 and, but that was not really my life. So it was this place of tranquility. I could write there. I could be tranquil there, but I didn't have to raise kids there.
0: Right, right.
1: How about your so, other
0: books? Are are they oh, the other books, geared to different uh, themes or?
1: Yeah, they're much quite different. This is quite different from the others. My first book, Dark Plums, is not autobiographical, although my father asked me if it was. And it's about a woman in the 50s who becomes a prostitute because the man that she loves is a pimp and she's an artist and she's supporting him by selling herself on the street and she thinks she has no worth. And her only worth is through being loved by him. And then an older man, an old Jew who's who's survived the Holocaust, suddenly takes her in. And in a sense, he saves her. And the strange thing about that character, Max, is that I had not planned him in the story at all. I had the story all worked out, and suddenly he just appeared out of nowhere and inserted himself into the novel and became one of the main characters.
0: Wow. That was very the- interesting. Writing is rewriting, you know. I know that just from yes. the speeches that I do, and you're always, you write, and then you read it and say, no, I don't like this. And, you, and then my sister's an editor, so. Writing is rewriting. Sometimes projects it take a long rewriting. time to evolve.
1: It is writing. It is rewriting. But this was more than rewriting. It was just like, if i have ever channeled anything, it was this character who just seemed to come from some other dimension and mm-hmm, demand. Mm-hmm. And after that, I thought, I need to know something about him. If he's going to go to shul, I should know what the services are like. So I began going to the local synagogue in Berkeley. Which was about a walking distance from me and was orthodox as only an earth Berkeley synagogue could be orthodox in the most unorthodox way you can imagine and then my daughter, because of this, was interested in going to Hebrew school, so she received a thorough Hebrew education, which I never had, all because of this Max character inserting himself into my novel, so I felt there was something beyond me that. Seems to enter.
0: It was meant to be.
1: Yeah, it was really strange. Really, yeah. really
0: strange. interesting the way the creative process works, you know?
1: Yeah, because often I'll start writing about something before it happens as though I sense it's going to happen. Mm hmm. Mm mm-hmm. Later on, I met my husband who, in many ways, resembled Max. He wasn't nearly as old, but in some ways, He really did resemble Max. He wasn't a Holocaust survivor in the same way, but it was as though I had almost anticipated meeting this man.
0: You almost manifested it on paper.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I believe in a lot
0: of that. Yeah, with writing. Yeah. In your vision, you had created the character, you know, and then yeah,
1: yeah. Materialized (laughs) exactly. Some things I've been afraid to write because then I'm afraid they're going to materialize, and sometimes they do. Right, Which is, right. I've never felt really great about writing murder mysteries, feeling that if I write, if I just create murders, they will happen in some other stratosphere, and I don't want to cause them to happen.
0: <laughs> no, don't put anybody that you know or love in that book.
1: <laughs> I know. I mean, it's really strange, and I'm sure yeah. I can, that's really it's funny. Saying kind of a bit but yeah.
0: Well, listen, we have limited time, but I want to, you know, tell our readers, uh, once again, especially the ones who are vision impaired, that your book is on e uh, ebook and on Amazon as well. And on and, um, at, and
1: Barnes and & Noble.
0: And Barnes and & Noble, exactly. It's great. And do you have a website, too, that they go to, to to see your...
1: Yeah, mariaespinoza.com. And we haven't had time to check, to touch on my other novels, because both Longing and Dying Unfinished," which both won awards, are... Loosely autobiographical and I think probably they're my most, most my best novels in a way. Although
0: Longing and dying.
1: Me,
0: yeah. Yes.
1: Diane, although my brother tells me that Suburban Souls is my best novel. So there you go. It have
0: really it. sounds wonderful, you know, especially like I said, taking over the traces with the, the air and how it's changed for women and yet some things still haven't changed that much. <laughs> you know.
1: I know. I know.
0: It's, it's interesting. But yeah, we, we may have to have you back on to talk about some of your other books in the future. I just really wanted to thank you and tell those of you listening that um, Maria Espinosa. Check out all of her books on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. And did you did you say it's MariaEspinosa.com?
1: Maria Espinosa, my name. Dot com. Yeah, Espinosa spells with an S, not as the Perfect.
0: Perfect. Great. Well, I wish you all the success with this book. It really sounds wonderful. I'm going to finish it. I started with the chapters when, you know, Isabella sent it to me the other day, so I'm really looking forward to finishing it. But I wanted to wish you well, and thank you so much for your time. And for those of you listening, I'm Krista McDonald, and my guest today has been the fabulous Maria Espinoza, author of all these incredible books and her latest, Suburban Souls. I hope you check it out. And it's about all, in a nutshell, overcoming adversity and finding joy. Have a blessed day. I'm Krista McDonald. Thanks for listening.